This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Welcome to Name Three Songs. I'm Sarah Fagan. And I'm Jenna Million. And this is a podcast where we challenge sexism in the music industry and empower fangirls. Because let's be honest, fangirls knew about that band way before you did. And if you stick around long enough, we'll also let you in on some new music the girls are already crazy about. So this is just your friendly reminder that if you've been enjoying what we're doing, you can get bonus content by joining us on Patreon. We are at patreon.com slash name3songs. We have multiple tiers where you can get everything from a newsletter to access to a Discord server to bonus episodes every month. Or if you just want to give us a tip because you're feeling generous today, you can do that at paypal.me slash name3songs. Or don't do any of that and just tell us how much you love us on Twitter. So what are we talking about today, Sarah? So today, I'm just going to preface this with, since part of our podcast is the job of empowering fangirls, we feel like it's important to talk about subjects that might be touchy in that realm because they are sort of like trigger words of what people use to sort of make fun of fangirldom when there's no real reason to make fun of it as long as you're like handling yourself properly. So today we're talking about idolization and parasocial relationships within celebrity culture, basically, and sort of diving into the psychology behind what parasocial relationships are and the levels that idolization can get to that can make it detrimental for both the fan and the artist. Because while surface level idolization isn't problematic, there are levels of idolization that can lead to detrimental activities. This is something that we touched on a little bit in our Toxic Fandoms episode, which was pretty early on in the podcast. Kind of like if you go to the extremes, you get to some of those toxic levels. So we're going to like dive a little bit deeper into that and more specifically the relationships between the fans and the idols. Yes, exactly. And we just feel like in order to properly empower you, you need to have these sort of tools in your belt on how to handle how much you care about these artists. Because I feel like sometimes we don't realize how these relationships can be affecting our day-to-day lives until we sort of sit back and separate ourselves from the love for it. Because I feel like we've all had that moment where we're kind of like, maybe I care too much. (laughs) And so that's what today is kind of about, is how to acknowledge if you are caring too much and what that sort of means. And I think this is like my new favorite thing is talking about the psychology. And then we're going to get into some properly extreme cases <laughs> with celebrities, which is a wild trip in and of itself. So stick around for the latter half of this episode to hear about that. So we're just going to start this off by talking about, as we said, the psychology behind this and what exactly a parasocial relationship is and how this sort of came to be. So in the 1950s, two men called Don Horton and Richard Wall, who worked in the Department of Sociology at the University of Chicago, wrote a paper called Mass Communication and Parasocial Interaction, Observations and Intimacy at a Distance. And in this, they were the first people to introduce the concept of 
parasocial relationships and the related idea of parasocial interaction. So these two things sort of go hand in hand, but are different. So parasocial relationships is an ongoing one-sided bond with like a media figure. So this can be like a TV show character or a celebrity. And then parasocial interaction are an imagined interaction with a media figure during a discrete viewing situation. And although these relationships are one-sided, they've said that it's psychologically similar to a real life social relationship, which I think is pretty interesting. Yeah. Well, I feel like, especially with like TV show characters, I feel like I can relate a lot more to that because I feel like there have been the amount of times where I've had to turn off a TV show because I'm like, you need to stop killing these characters that I care about. <laughs> like, you gotta stop. It's emotionally taxing. And I feel like it's so easy to, especially with TV shows written well, to like latch on to those characters and like you can watch one episode and the next thing you know, you're sobbing on <laughs> like an airplane. Yeah, and then you end the series and you're like, what am I supposed to do with my life now? Yeah, I mean, it's that thing where, like, I still haven't watched the last episode of The Magicians because of how much they, like, fucked me up. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I can't handle it. I'm like, nope, that show can't end because the last time you hurt me, that hurt so bad. <laughs> 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 oh my goodness so we I basically it's just me being like I can relate just in a slightly different way because I feel like I haven't had says with a frame poster of Harry Styles behind her head but like, I feel like I haven't had the vast level of attachment to a real person in a long time as I have to like TV characters if that makes sense yeah yeah that makes sense and so also these relationships are perfectly normal and healthy to a certain degree it says that research has shown that the development maintenance and dissolution of parasocial relationship is similar in many ways to the real life interpersonal relationships a lot of the psychology that we found for these episodes are from childmind.org and i feel like it's important to sort of think about when these relationships first sort of forming because young people really latch on to these sort of characters because all they really have in their lives are like their parents and their teachers. Like according to this article, like you, you need outside people to look up to. So this article from childmind.org is from 2011, written by a man called Joel Tiller, and it's called Why Teenagers Obsess Over Pop Stars. And basically he talked to this doctor called Dr. Alan Rabbits, and he said that as kids individualize themselves from their parents, which is a natural part of development and growing up, they try to establish psychological and emotional independence. No matter the culture, they need somebody to look to, aside from their parents, for guidance and a model for becoming an adult. In our culture, this is often a sports figure, an actor, or a pop star. Makes complete sense. My first idol was like Hillary Duff. I think that my first person that I looked up to was honestly Britney Spears at like the age of eight or nine. Every photo of me as a child has me like pulling my shirt into the same style as the Hit Me Baby <laughs> time video. They really hit their demographic, right, huh? <laughs> They did. They truly did. And the thing that I also found really interesting in this child mind article is that this Dr. Rabbit said that a lot of adults can find it irritating that these kids are sort of idolizing 
these other adults, but he keeps reiterating that, and I quote, it's actually part of the work necessary for healthy development. So as we stated in the beginning, idolization, especially, I don't know, the word idolization feels uncomfortable because I don't feel like that's what it is personally. Admiration. Yeah, I think it's more admiration. I feel like the admiration towards these people is the healthy thing. I feel like the term idolization is what takes it to that unhealthy level. At least in my I can see that. Right? Yeah, I can see that for sure. Because according to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, to idolize is to worship as a god. And then it says broadly, it's to love or admire to excess. And so I feel like a lot of people automatically think that idolization means to just like to love and admire somebody to, to like a higher degree. But I don't know. It just feels, I don't know. The word just feels uncomfortable to me. And I feel like that's when it becomes a different thing when you're calling somebody an idol rather than somebody that like you look up to or admire. I do also like in this article, they talk to Dr. Lin Fang, an assistant professor for the faculty of social work at the University of Toronto, who says that idolization of pop stars has unique characteristics for adolescents. It provides a basis for self-expression, the construction of self-identity and achievement of independence, which I think that like resonates a lot with me of being like looking to whoever it is not just pop stars whoever you admire like i mean they're considered role models like being in the in the limelight and kind of like picking characteristics and like modeling yourself after them and that's a huge thing as we talk about like self-identity and we talk about like the 1975 for example going back to that those fans you create a whole identity around like this world that these artists have created so i think that makes a lot of sense yeah no definitely and i and i feel like it helps people figure out kind of like who they really want to be because I feel like the world would be a very boring place if all you had to base your personality off of would be like the people in your immediate circle because everybody would just be really similar, which I feel like a lot of people have spoken about how like if they've had really religious upbringings that once they've sort of found the internet and found people outside of their church or what have you to admire and look up to that they've been able to like open their minds to other things and so I think that that just proves in and of itself that having these outside people to sort of create these one-sided relationships with do sort of help people broaden their horizons and sort of change their minds about things that they're taught to believe based off of their upbringing which I think is really powerful and I mean like growing up I think that like the first person I can really think of that I was like I want to be like this person was like Avril Lavigne when I was like probably like 11 or 12 and I was like okay I want to be like her (laughs) like she's really cool and I had like posters of her in my room and stuff and I think a lot of the style choices and stuff I made were based off of that so it was just sort of having this role model because like as I've said I listened to a lot of pop punk as like a young child and most of it was just dudes and then having somebody like Avril Lavigne to look up to is like pretty exciting because she was in that realm but like doing it as a girl but also the one other thing that I did find really interesting in this child mind article was that Dr. Lin Fang also said that there can be a darker side to like the idea of idolization because research shows that girls who strongly idolize celebrities tend to buy into other aspects of commercial culture and that there's this pressure coming from celebrities with perfect bodies which may lead to unrealistic body image and possibly nurture eating disorders which can consume children's lives sorry the word idolization just makes me so uncomfortable (laughs) 
<laughs> and so it's so weird when they're all like, this is healthy. Whereas I feel like, and we're going to get into this in a second, whereas I feel like the admiration is what is healthy and normal and the idolization is what's dangerous, right? Like that's what it, that's what it feels like from all the stuff that we're reading. Because I mean, there's different levels to what idolization is and it can get to a, a point, which to me personally, it feels like it gets to the point of what idolization, like what my personal idea of what idolization is, which then becomes dangerous. Whereas like admiration is healthy and normal. And Jenna, do you want to go into the different levels that idolization sort of takes for us? Yeah, so there's an editor for the North American Journal of Psychology named Lynn McCutcheon who actually came up with this thing called the Celebrity Attitude Scale, also known as CAS. She developed the CAS and a theoretical model to help explain how people get emotionally involved with their favorite celebrity. And this model has been used more than 15 years later across different published studies to learn more about the so-called celebrity worshipers, as she puts it. And so here's some of the things that we learned. About one-third of the population over the age of 12 might qualify as celebrity admirers. Celebrity worshipers probably start about puberty and gradually peak at age 15. However, it declines very little as adolescents move into adulthood. And I think that's interesting because it's like if you have that bug for admiring celebrities as, as a young teen it makes sense when we're talking about like boy bands for example like if you loved one direction when you were a teenager it makes a lot of sense why you might be 25 and now you love bts because it's like your admiration for these people doesn't go away you just find somebody new to care about and i think it's really interesting because i feel like also later in life when you meet new people and some people just have no interest in celebrity culture and a lot of the time it's because it just wasn't they were too busy to care about it as kids because a lot of times I feel like people who maybe played a lot of sports or like did theater did lots of like extracurricular activities and didn't have time to like create these like parasocial relationships that we're talking about just don't care and it's just really interesting because I feel like once you sort of start developing that when you're younger then as you're older, even if they are people you don't care about, you still are inclined to know what's going on with like Kendall Jenner because the interest in celebrity culture is already there. Yeah, and I wouldn't say too busy. I think it just has to do with people's interests, like whether or not they adopted this parasocial relationship from a young age. Yeah, true. And yeah, and so I, I just find it interesting how like sometimes you do meet people who just have literally no interest in like anything pop culture. I feel like there's so many different ways people find interest in celebrity culture. And I feel like when you're really invested in celebrity culture, you tend to gravitate towards other people who are invested in celebrity culture. So then when you meet people who aren't, it's like, wait, what? (laughs) This exists? Because we have, I feel like, especially in the social media age, we have like normalized it so much, just like the admiration and the interest in it. But when there are people who don't care, it's like, wait, what? I feel like it's sort of turned the other way where it's like not seen as normal to like not admire celebrities, you know? could be or just could be you're so into celebrity culture that that's your that's your viewpoint maybe well i don't know because i feel like uh, no any new person well i guess also it's because i work in journalism like yeah every like you're required to know about it yeah i I feel like (laughs) essentially I feel like essentially every new person I meet, like whenever I follow new people on Twitter, they're always like involved in that realm of things. But the really interesting thing 
that Lynn did write about was that religious skeptics, so like atheists and agnostics, score lower than strong religious believers on the CAS, suggesting that skeptics' doubts about God may extend to the godlike wannabes that some of us worship. And I feel like this will come into play a bit later when we're talking about these celebrity examples. But I do just find that quite interesting because a lot of the reason why Jenna and I decided to talk about this was that I was getting vastly uncomfortable when people were coming at us about Ashton Irwin by making assumptions and saying like how dare you talk about my idol in this way and keeping on referring to him as an idol because I don't know because like when you use the term k-pop idol it's like a title it's not like I don't think of people bowing down (laughs) to like these members of BTS and stuff but when somebody refers to someone else in pop culture as an idol that hasn't ever been called that it automatically makes me feel like they're like literally have built a shrine in a closet and are like bowing down to it. And I brought up to Jenna how like the only thing I remember from like Hebrew school (laughs) was that like in Jewish culture, we're just like no idols. Idols aren't allowed. And we know that like God has like a true name, but we're not allowed to say it. We don't have any iconography of what God might look like. We don't have any of that. Whereas from my learnings of other religions, like you have like the Mary statue or like the Jesus statue and like the cross and like, I don't know about other religions, but since that's like the main religion in America, (laughs) I just think it's interesting that a lot of the cases that we're going to talk about, a lot of these people are religious and they get mad because these artists are referring to themselves as Jesus-like or God-like or what have you. And they're kind of like, but Jesus is the only true idol or what have you. And I just think that it's kind of this interesting juxtaposition of like religion and idol tree and taking it to like this next level. And I don't really understand the correlation between it, but it's weird that there is one. There is something there for sure. I feel like there has to be more studies. I'm sure we could find more on that correlation because it's quite interesting. Yeah. But also I want to point out that the results overwhelmingly suggest that males and females are about equal in their attraction to a favorite celebrity, which is ironic considering only women get hated for loving a celebrity when men love them just as much as women do. Yeah, I think that's really interesting because also on a lot of the TikToks that we've done about sort of like passion and how like women aren't allowed to be passionate about anything, a lot of times men will leave comments being like, men don't care like this, but they do. And it's proven when like any girl tries to talk about like Marvel or Star Wars or sports, where it's just like these men will just like come for them or even just music. Like if you're wearing a shirt of a band as our fucking podcast name entails, like that guys assume girls don't listen to, you just get attacked with questions. And so I just think it's interesting that at least from both of our personal experience, like women majority are passionate about stuff in a much less angry way until it gets to like the higher degrees of idolization. Yeah, so we can break down those levels right now. So the first level on this scale is what they call entertainment or socials. And so these people are attached to a favorite celebrity primarily because he or she's entertaining and provides something to talk about with like-minded friends, i.e. if you're both sports fans, if you're both BTS fans, if you're both 1975 fans, you have that in common to share. And with some exceptions, these folks appear to be reasonably normal. What is normal? <laughs> yeah, what, what define normal on this scale. I guess normal is like not waiting outside of a hotel. 
Probably. Which takes us to level two, intense slash personals. They tend to agree with statements about being a soulmate with their favorite celeb, being obsessed with details about that prominent person's life, taking an intense personal interest in everything their favorite celeb says and does. They tend towards neuroticism and depression and anxiety. <laughs> wow, feeling called out today. <laughs> Sometimes they also tend to avoid stressful situations instead of solving the underlying problems that cause anxiety. It just sounds like this test is like so in-depth. This is funny because I feel like the CAS is kind of like the, the Enneagram test where you like go and you take it and they're yeah. like, how anxious are you? Like, how depressed are you? Like, how how often do you refer to like Harry Styles as your personal friend? <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> how often do you say you're going to marry Louis Tomlinson? <laughs> how often do you threaten people on the internet? for having Boy. different opinions than you um i <laughs> this is a thing though that kind of stresses me out about this is that they're like oh among adolescents with high scores on the ces test they say that there's a tendency to feel insecure and emotionally distant and i feel like this all makes sense but at the same time i feel like i know a lot of pretty well adjusted people that are like second tier obsessed with like second tier admiration whatever you want to call it with celebrities where they're just like pretty well adjusted Adjusted, but then the next thing you know they're going to like 20 Harry Styles gigs and for like two and a half months their whole personality is Harry Styles but the second that that's over unless you bring it up they're not talking to you about Harry Styles all the time yeah so I feel like there can be like a, a happy medium of this level too yeah I think so too I would definitely agree with that yeah, because I feel like a lot of like me and you and a lot of our listeners sort of relate to that feeling like a personal attachment to these people, like being very interested in like minute details of their life. I feel like a lot of these teens on or even just like people in their early 20s, like on TikTok who are like, making outfits based off of Harry Styles outfits and stuff. That's healthy. Yeah, and but like it's a way to show your creativity. And I feel like this is making it sound like these people are maladjusted when I don't think that they are. Like personally, like I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. So I mean, I well, also this could just be like these traits might pop out more in like younger individuals. And like if you grow up, you might grow out of it. Yeah, because I mean, I don't know. I feel like a lot of people who have depression and anxiety kind of need somebody else to think about. So I yeah. mean, that does make sense. But I think it's more so just the whole thing of feeling like insecure and emotionally distant, what they, which they do say is mostly adolescents. But I just think it's funny that <laughs> I'm like reading this and getting defensive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a little too personal, Sarah. Um <laughs> Okay, so moving on to level three, they qualify these people as borderline pathological, which is like, a, to me, a big step. And they say they characterize by feeling compelled to follow every aspect of their prominent person's existence and stated willingness to do something illegal if asked by their favorite celebrity. They tend to be uninhibited and focus on immediate concerns while ignoring future consequences. This one I find funny because when Louis Tomlinson did his live stream, they were like, you will get fined if you screen record. And Louis tweeted like, you all better fucking screen record. <laughs> and everyone on Twitter is like, we're screen recording, King. <laughs> okay, that is a, 
very low stakes illegal circumstance no i know that's why i'm saying that i think it's really funny because when i was reading that i was like that's the first thing that came to mind but like i don't know but i guess a bigger thing that comes to mind is that donald trump told his followers to storm the capitol and they did uh yeah so who (laughs) i mean they really said borderline pathological The other thing that I did find interesting about this like borderline pathological level is that they found that people who adopted like a needy, jealous lifestyle approach to their intimate partners were more likely to score in this level, which I feel like says a lot. And I feel like more so how I read that is kind of like what we were discussing about those people who kind of gaslight in relationships, the narcissism sort of thing i feel like that seems to yeah. go hand in hand with that Ooh, good point i just feel like sometimes when the obsession gets to this next degree of like stalking which is just like the ultimate sort of level that's like listed in this article that you then sort of have somebody who is so obsessed with an artist but like doesn't really know how to deal with it and it's a lot of times like this inner battle it's a lot and i feel like a lot of the times the person who does do this like the aggressive stalking has personal feelings of grandeur because they're like I need to be the person in this person's life or like I need to be the person to end this person's life or whatever the stakes are it's very much that fan needs to be that person which I feel like all feels very similar to like the narcissistic tendencies that we were talking to about in the men and mental health episode yeah So it does say that like celebrity stalkers are actually a rare case, Mm -hmm. Um, but they found that people who scored high on level two and three were more likely to endorse obnoxious fan activities, which they include such behaviors as writing letters with sexual content and or ambiguous threats to a favorite celebrity and starting an argument with a celebrity at a public appearance about his or her personal life. Which I think is interesting, and I wonder, does that count as people commenting smut on Pete Wentz's Instagram photos? I don't know. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, how much does this play into this toxic fan culture? Like, are these fans online who are being like, Ariana, how dare you wear the outfit? I'm going to kill you, or like, whatever. Like, these people who are just tweeting random angry shit it's like how much does it have to do with like a pathological feeling of like anger and something that they might actually act out on or how much of it is just like internet clout and doing something because that's what people do on the internet and I feel like these lines are getting blurred so much now that there have been I mean like this is the thing is it's like I know that all these articles say that like stalking isn't that common but I feel like most celebrities that I know of have had a stalker or I multiple. Probably every celebrity has had a stalker. Like, I think it's impossible to be a celebrity and not have a stalker. Yeah. So, like, I understand that, like, celebrities aren't, like, a huge part of the population. Like, the world population is huge. So, it's that thing where it's, like, 1% of people are dying from COVID. And then you, like, are, like, oh, 1% is not that much. And then you look at the number and you're, like, shit, that's a ton of people. But it's just, like, in comparison to how many people are in the world, you know? So, it's just sort of thinking about that bigger number. But at the same time, it's like when and I'm making these numbers up, but it's like when essentially like 90% of celebrities have had their life threatened by somebody who claims to be like their biggest fan, that doesn't feel like stalking's not common. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? 
What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Just to take things to the extreme, we're going to talk through some of these examples, which are very scary, but also kind of absurd and hard to believe they're true. And it's just like, it's crazy to think that like stalking isn't even the worst offense that has happened. Yeah. And we'll get to that. But I mean, a lot of our listeners we know listen to sort of like that pop punk kind of music. So I'm sure a few of you at least are familiar with the fact that like Brendan Urie from Panic at the Disco had to literally move. But I mean, this idiot also, no offense, gave his home address to people to send fan mail to. So like, I don't know how much we can really blame these people because he just kind of was like, here's my address. Send me letters. Like... I don't know. I don't know how don't, I feel. If you're famous, don't publish your home address. <laughs> it doesn't really make any sense because basically the enemy reported on this in 2017 and they were basically saying that his address was publicly available to fans. So they like regularly sent letters and gifts. And then Brendan Murray wrote in a statement that it went from not just letters and gifts and it soon changed into visits and like constant harassment from fans and that it got so bad that he like started to not feel safe in his own home. And so he posts this long statement on his Twitter to shed light on what this inappropriate behavior looks like and saying boundaries are boundaries for a reason everyone has a right to feel safe and everyone has an obligation to be happy so i'm taking my family somewhere that might make this a possibility so him and his wife literally had to move they got like a p.o box or like some random fan mail address for people to send stuff to so that people couldn't find him as you should like that's normal that's what most people do and like i understand and this is the thing like panic at the disco didn't become like a huge huge thing until probably the last like five years maybe more recent so i can understand him also sort of having a parasocial relationship with his fans feeling like he knows some of them and being like well the ones that i'm aware of that i know seem fine so i'll just put my address out there my fans are my fans you know and it's the same thing if it's like you have a false sense of who your celebrity hero is and they can also have a false sense of like what their fan base might be like based off of the fans that they do have relationships with and so he must have just like felt safe i guess putting his address out there 
I don't know. I mean, personally, even with my photography stuff, I feel uncomfortable putting my address on invoices. Like, and I'm not even a famous woman, but a lot of the other cases are like bigger, like household names. Like Katy Perry has had multiple stalkers. Like in 2017, a 37 year old man from Poland named Powell Jerski allegedly followed Katy Perry all across the country on tour and attempted to get backstage at one of her concerts. And this judge, Minnie Glazer, said that Jersky said that he was going to do whatever it took to be with Katy Perry, saying that reading from a police report that he planned to like follow her all across the country and he was charged with four counts including felonies for aggravated stalking and escape and loitering and resisting arrest whoa so (laughs) i feel like if you're waiting outside of an artist tour bus could you also be charged for loitering i guess it depends what what, like the street laws are (laughs) yeah no that's pretty ridiculous Yeah. I mean, it's just insane. Like there was another case also with Katy Perry three years later in 2020 that this 38 year old man called William Terry allegedly jumped the fence at her Beverly Hills property and was busted by cops for trespassing. And Katy Perry had claimed that this man also tried to do this a couple months earlier and that he was posting like these alarming messages on social media for months leading up to it and that she like feared he would keep doing it if she didn't get court order protection and this tmz article stated that terry's troubling online behavior allegedly included numerous graphic and sexually explicit posts about katie comments about killing dogs and cops threats to snap orlando bloom's neck and wishing flynn and miranda would catch covid and die so that's um orlando bloom's ex-wife and his son so these can get like so deranged um i think the most deranged one is the next example with justin bieber would you care to go into detail on this one yeah so a 2013 article in the atlantic says that these two men mark stake and his nephew tanner ruin were arrested after they took a wrong turn on the way to allegedly meet bieber in new york city there the two allegedly planned to murder and castrate the singer with garden shears they were apparently operating under the instructions of a 45 year old man dana martin took out a hit on justin bieber so these other two dudes got arrested whoa yeah and the reason that dana martin did not act this out for himself is that he was already serving two consecutive life sentences in las cruces prison for raping and killing a 15 year old girl and so he was the subject of a profile done for details magazine by kevin gray and so he got to like firsthand speak with this man who ordered this hit on Justin Bieber. And so basically it's explained that Dana's wild Bieber obsession goes beyond what you might even anticipate from a teen fan. He has an elaborate Bieber tattoo on his right leg that he got another inmate to draw on him with a makeshift prison tattoo gun. And beyond the body ink, Martin remains the only person on record to allegedly put out 
a hit on the singer's unmentionables to keep them as trophies. Now, that's what was written in the Atlantic article, so that's why it's done so eloquently. But basically, Martin told Gray during a prison interview, he goes, what are you trying to get me to say that I love Justin Bieber and think he's gorgeous? He's a good-looking kid. Would I go to bed with him? Yeah. He's legal, so probably. And then he continues on to go, it wasn't just so people will know who I am. So yes, he was trying to like get some sort of grandeur by doing this. But then he also goes, it's because he changed and that made me angry. Bieber's edgier new attitude as he got older ticked him off. And the article goes on to say that Martin resented the new, more adult and urban image Bieber cultivated. He cringed at Bieber's awkward vanilla ice-like embrace of hip-hop slang. And he said that he's a phony now. Whoa. And so this is this is why this man like wanted to murder and castrate Justin Bieber. Whoa. This story got crazier with every sentence. Yeah, it's a really insane article. We're going to link it in the show notes so you can read everything if you want all the nitty gritty details about it. But the levels that these stalking cases can get to are crazy. Like Taylor Swift has has a couple stalkers who have like come to her house with weapons it's never been spoken out loud whether or not they were planning to murder her but i would assume that if you're showing up to somebody's house with weapons that that is probably part of the plan but it's just crazy how idolization of like this idea of somebody and being like they're the perfect person whatever and you think you know them because of like the parasocial social interactions from like watching interviews and what have you and then the second they sort of change and grow because I mean while we don't want to admit it like it, Justin Bieber is like growing he's becoming a man like he is he was becoming a person and so he's sort of trying to discover who he is he's not going to stay this clean cut person forever like he was as a child and it's like the fact that somebody idolized someone so much that they stopped being the idea that they had of them in their mind that they're like gotta kill them now is crazy that some people feel like that's like the normal level to take it to where you're like this person no longer deserves to be alive well that's exactly what happened in the case of john lennon Mm -hmm. he on december 8th 1980 at 40 years old he was killed by a mark chapman chapman said that he was angry and jealous of the way that lennon was living and speaking um and that he was seeking glory for himself according to hearing transcripts he also had a list of three potential targets. He left Hawaii to go to New York City and was just like, I'm making a list of potential targets in case Lennon doesn't like he he really just wanted the infamy and like the glory of it. He didn't actually care who the target was, although he did have some attachment to Lennon. So I think it's interesting that like he had other targets, even though he was like also a Beatles fan. Well, the thing that I did find interesting about this article written for The Independent by James McMahon in 2020 called The Shooting of John Lennon, Will Mark David Chapman Ever Be Released? He sort of talks more, goes more into detail about like Chapman's history and says how like he was a super big Beatles fan. Lennon was his hero as a teenager. The vivid colors and all that sort of gave him this escape and because of the Beatles he he started doing drugs and all these things that he he says fit perfectly into his life but the thing that set him off 
to begin with and start thinking about like, maybe I need to kill John Lennon was that in an interview with the Evening Standard in March of 1966, as part of the paper's regular franchise, How Does a Beetle Live? John Lennon said that he believed the Beatles were now more popular than Jesus and that perhaps rock music would outlive Christianity. And across the Bible Belt in America, like Beatles records were set on fire because of this radio stations stopped playing their music the kkk picketed performances so there was just a lot of uproar about this and so when lennon released imagine in 1971 mark chapman's like this man's a hypocrite and a communist and so he kind of just like went off the rails. Chapman goes on to say, so in the song Imagine, quote, he told us to imagine no possessions. And there he was with millions of dollars in yachts and farms and country estates laughing at people like me who had believed the lies and bought the records and built a big part of their lives around his music. I just feel like when we live in a capitalist world, like you can have dreams and like ideologies that aren't a capitalist world. But if you have the ability to enjoy capitalism, you're gonna enjoy it. And I don't really think that that necessarily makes you a hypocrite, especially in the case of John Lennon, when he was trying to be an activist and like do some sort of good. But it's really interesting that this man looked up to John Lennon so much that he sort of shaped his life around song lyrics and what he was doing, and then was kind of like, hey, you're actually not the man I thought you were. So now I need to plan your murder. So also, it's important to note that during his Beatles phase as a teenager, when he's like taking drugs and sort of doing everything that they were doing, he discovered religion. He attended a retreat held by the Chapelwoods Presbyterian Church, and he found the experience deeply affecting and sort of turn to God because God opened the door to him and he goes I felt totally forgiven and totally renewed and that's when he began to feel negative emotions about John Lennon and it just kept getting worse and worse which is especially exacerbated by John Lennon saying that he believed that the Beatles were more popular than Jesus and how also on 1970s John Lennon Plastic Ono band album he goes I don't believe in Jesus I just believe in me so that also (laughs) probably didn't help Chapman but so in October of 1980 he made his first trip to New York to try and assassinate John Lennon and he went and saw the film Ordinary People and he he came out of the movie and he called his wife and told her what he was planning to do and she was like you're loved you need to come home all this sort of stuff and so he left New York and he didn't kill John Lennon but then in December of that same year he goes back to New York to again try and kill John Lennon that is absurd yeah and so basically he goes to his hotel in New York and he waits outside And he approaches John Lennon to ask him to sign his copy of Double Fantasy. And Lennon signed it, writing John Lennon 1980 on the sleeve. And Chapman had befriended an amateur photographer called Paul Gorish outside the hotel, who actually captured a photo of Lennon signing the album for Chapman. And so then when Lennon had gone... Chapman panted excitedly, John Lennon signed my album, Nobody in Hawaii is Going to Believe Me. 
and he tried to talk this photographer into waiting around with him for Lennon to return later and he goes you never know if you'll see him again six hours later he shot John Lennon to death I don't know if that was like foreshadowing I don't know I just think it's crazy that like he got him to sign his album and then was like I'll shoot him after yeah this story is like really troubling and I think some of these other articles we read said like he's tried to get parole 12 times and every single time it's been denied and he's like talked about how he was like seeking glory and all of this stuff and that the parole like board found it really disturbing his comments and so they that's why they keep denying him because like the dude is still obsessed with the idea of fame and glory and wanting to go down in history and I mean, sadly, that a lot of people who turn to these violent measures also have that same mindset. The other thing that I found interesting is that like a part of his like his story kept kind of changing about why he was doing it. And he had like a copy of Catcher in the Rye that he would carry around everywhere with him and he would write notes in it. And essentially he kept it as like his manifesto. And at one point he even stated that he kept it on him and killed John Lennon in hopes that it would help sales for Catcher in the Rye, <laughs> which... Absurd. Like, I don't know. It's just the inner workings of people who go to this level is like something that us as people who just have an interest in psychology and no real background in it will never be able to understand because there's obviously other things going on there. But just as people who don't have thoughts like that it's just so interesting the the sort of the ways that people will try and make what they've done feel okay to themselves like the way for brains to sort of cope with the trauma that they inflicted on themselves by killing someone and killing someone that they care about deeply but i mean obviously these are like the most extreme examples so there's lots of different levels of fandom i mean and it's just it's really important to explain that like we're not saying that we assume every fan on the internet who calls someone their idol or takes part in parasocial relationships is planning to kill someone or is planning to take it to this level of stalking or what have you there aren't very many parallels of this but i think it is just important to acknowledge that sometimes without even you realizing it idolization can take control of how you're thinking and feeling and unfortunately sometimes they can lead to these scenarios it's not common but it can and i feel like it's just important to be aware of it especially when there are so many people that you come across on the internet who exist within the fandom with you and there are all these toxic traits that we've talked about in past episodes of kind of being aware of like the language people are using and that whole thing when you are interacting within fandom because like the other example of a super fan taking it too far is with the case of selena quintanilla and yolanda saldivar because she was just like a super fan who ran her fan club became close with selena and it sort of spiraled and this i think based off of what i've read feels like a case that unfortunately feels like something that could just happen to anyone given the opportunity to become close to somebody that you admire to this degree it's unclear whether or not her intention was to actually kill her she says it wasn't but i think things got out of hand really quickly with that 
So for those of you who don't know about Selena, just some background. Selena was a Teano singer based out of Texas. She was on the trajectory to change the music industry. She was the first Teano artist to ever win a Grammy. And she had like a super devoted fan base. And this woman, Yolanda Saldivar, was essentially one of her biggest fans she founded the selena fan club and eventually quit her job as a nurse to run the club full-time and selena sort of took her under her wing as like a trusted person within her bubble and promoted her to running two boutiques that she had in texas and it was said that Selena even referred to Saldivar as mom a lot of the time because of how close their relationship was. But it's been reported that Yolanda developed sort of like a possessive and obsessive relationship with Selena because of this like closeness she had to somebody that she idolized and admired so much. It was even said that by one of her ex-roommates that Yolanda had pictures of Selena like all over her walls in their apartment and that it sort of gave off the vibe of a shrine. And so it sort of escalated from somebody who could function being a super fan and being close to this artist to somebody who was just completely overtaken by the closeness and access she was given. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, we talk a lot about like, you can be a fangirl and you can work in the industry and like, you totally can and it's totally chill. But I think like a lot of younger teens don't recognize those boundaries until you get a little bit older of it's okay to be passionate and be a fangirl and be a professional to a certain degree. Like you have to be able to kind of like check yourself and check those moments of like, is this too much? is you know starting hate conversations online too much you know so there's a balance there and i think this is one of those cases where it got out of hand yeah and basically like it got to this point where yolanda was like mismanaging the boutiques and there was chatter that she was likely embezzling money from them and so selena's father found evidence that she had stolen from the both the boutiques and fan clubs and so selena's family confronted her and they said that they were going to tell the police and start an investigation into it and so then yolanda was kind of like freaking out and was like i need to speak to selena and so selena went and met with her uh a day's in and she promised to give selena the the missing financial records and all that sort of stuff and one thing led to another and yolanda shoots selena in the lower right shoulder severing an artery and selena was pronounced dead on arrival at the hospital but before that she was able to say that yolanda was who shot her and There was this whole thing where there was like a nine and a half hour standoff between Yolanda and police where she was kept screaming about how like she didn't mean to do it. She didn't mean to kill anyone. And I mean, Selena's dad has stated that he believed his daughter was killed in a crime of passion, which it kind of feels like based off of the information that is available out there. And it's so sad that probably wouldn't have happened like it's a much different case than John Lennon because I don't it doesn't necessarily seem like I have read like rumors online and all that sort of stuff that because Selena was kind of 
being like, you're not going to be able to be part of my life anymore because you've done this, that people believe that that was a motive for Yolanda to shoot her because she not only got caught for embezzling, but she also is getting her access revoked from her after working so hard to like build up to this point where she's not only working for her, but working with her and it has a close relationship to her. And personally, I feel like that makes sense. (laughs) Conspiracy theories aside, don't take your passion out as anger on your idols. (laughs) I don't know if that's the moral of the story, but I think we want to like give an example of some extreme cases to show like where it can lead. And I think this in hand in hand with our toxic fandom episode is a good place to start thinking about where you fall on the scale of celebrity attitude. Yeah, because I mean, this is not like it's not common. Yes, a ton of celebrities have had people stalking them and have threats against them or whatever, but it's not like they're from like hundreds upon hundreds of people. It's probably like two or three people out of the whole like millions of fans that these artists have that wind up being like a problem or an issue for them. So like this isn't something that you need to be like... (laughs) taking notes whenever you meet a new friend in a fandom to like make sure that they're not gonna wind up being the ne- the next Yolanda Saldivar but it is just something I think to be aware of because I feel like a lot of people don't think about it but when you do sort of take your admiration to this extreme of like referring to someone as an idol and viewing them as an impervious person, it can lead to these feelings like Dana Martin's having in jail being like, Justin Bieber went away from his squeaky clean image. How dare he? Because you do build them up, like depending on when you find them. And I think that that's a lot of issues that we come across online is it's like when people ship certain people together or when people are like, oh, like this version of Harry Styles is my favorite version of Harry Styles. And it's like, Harry Styles is Harry Styles. Like long-haired Harry and (laughs) watermelon sugar Harry are the same person. But because we're fans, we refer to them as like eras, but they're still the same human through and through. And I just feel like that's just important to acknowledge that like these people are human. It's okay to admire them. It's healthy to admire them. It helps a lot of people shape who they are to look up to celebrities and there's nothing wrong with that but I think it's just separating a celebrity human from their persona is when things start to lead to these unhealthy things that have led to these issues that we've discussed today yeah yeah 100% I think you summarized that really well being able to to know that at the end of the day they are human at the end of the day they might disappoint you but that's okay because We're all human. We're all disappointing people daily. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Yeah, that's the most important thing. I think that as long as you can have the rational thought that like, it's okay to view Harry's personas as personas, but also be aware that Harry Styles is a human. Like, it's okay to view like Taylor Swift's eras as different entities. But if you can still at the end of the day be like, Taylor Swift is a human living at home with her quaint little British boyfriend. That's all that really matters. 
as long like just being rational about it basically so that you don't get to a point where your internet friend is creating conspiracies to like go after Harry Styles as long as that doesn't happen we're good yeah so we know that was like a lot to unpack and it got really true crime there for a minute Sarah's favorite thing you know I think this was just um Sarah's way of co-opting our podcast to make it a true crime podcast for a second um I'm not saying it wasn't (laughs) but I feel like as I stated at the beginning it was just really important to sort of go over this because to empower people you sometimes need to bring them down to earth a little bit Absolutely. And so I think that it's just important to do that for ourselves to like remind ourselves because sometimes you do need that reminder that like just because somebody is like creatively stimulating you doesn't mean that they're not a person who unfortunately does juice cleanses. (laughs) And then like the shroud of this like creative genius sort of goes away and you're like, oh, he's just like a posh asshole. I feel like we could do another episode about this where we just talk about the way celebrities have disappointed us and people's reaction to them. I feel like that would be really interesting because I feel like that does happen where sometimes just like the the curtain sort of is lifted and you get this understanding of who they really are outside of the like persona, especially with somebody like Harry Styles or like Taylor Swift, who has such like a perfectly manicured idea of who they are and like the public image. And then you get this accidental like opening of the curtain to like know what they're really like. And you're like, ah, shit. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of bursts your bubble for a while. Yeah. And that's the thing is it's like a juice cleanse isn't going to send me off to Harry Styles' house with like a a rifle. But like for some people it could, you know? (laughs) Like, I mean, that's aggressive, but... I don't know. I feel like that's the thing is it's like, as long as you can be rational about it, it's all good. I feel like we learned a lot today and I'm proud of us. (laughs) A lot of psychology. So yeah, so if you enjoyed this, do you have any questions, comments, concerns, which I feel like there probably are lots of questions, comments, and concerns for this episode, you can come chat with us on social media. We're at Name3Songs on literally everything we will send you a bill if you need psychological help (laughs) (laughs) the hours are billable (laughs) we are not doctors we're not not, we unfortunately do not take insurance so (laughs) we do not take insurance because we are not doctors (laughs) you can pay us at paypal.me slash name three (laughs) songs Yeah, we'll we'll have links for you for psychological help should you need it. So we would love to have more discourse with y'all about this subject because I think that there's a lot to unpack here and this is really kind of just the surface of it and the really dark side of it, honestly. But I feel like sometimes you just gotta go hit them in the face with the darkness, you know? But yeah, so if you also have any like personal grievances as per usual, you can come at us personally. I am at Sarah underscore Fagan and Jenna is at Jenna underscore million. And if you want to come join our Patreon or give us a tip for dealing with all this emotional trauma today, you can do that either at patreon.com slash name three songs or paypal.me slash name three songs. 
So thanks for joining us on Name Three Songs. Until next time, never let anyone make you feel bad about your favorite band. And remember, you're never too cool to listen to Grammy winner Harry Styles. Don't forget to subscribe to be notified when each episode comes out and leave us a five-star review. They really help. If you want to find out more about any of the sources we referenced in this episode, you can visit Name3Songs.com. Anatomy of an ad. Subconsciously trigger emotions through music. Perfect. Define an opportunity. Imagine talking to millions of people across the U.S. like I am now. Identify a problem. Creating an audio ad is time-consuming. Offer a solution. Utilize cutting-edge AI. Imagine creating all that in under 30 seconds. Well, we did. To create this ad, to learn more about AI in the audio industry, download the white paper from audiostack.ai. Hey, are you a super fan of Taylor Swift, Jelly Roll, or Morgan Wallen? Are you that song nerd who likes to dive into every little lyric of every little song and figure out what everything means? Do you want to take that a bit further, though? Because I have a podcast called Songwriter Soup, and it dives into the journey of a songwriter and how those people help craft the soundtrack of your life. I'm Laura Veltz, and I'm bringing all of my friends together to discuss our funny little job writing for all of your favorite artists. Listen to Songwriter Soup wherever you get your podcasts.